Good. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to do things a little differently today. Um, normally, I just kind of save the uh, tithe uh, and offering message to the very end, and and we don't, um, um, you know, our view on giving at, at Wilderness Church is a little different than some places. Um, I, we believe that giving is a uh, not a New Testament command. It is a New Testament heart issue. Amen. Um, we believe that, um, you know, as we uh, grow spiritually, we grow in generosity. And, and so we, um, that, you know, so, so we don't put a ton of emphasis on, on giving um, when it comes to, you know, taking up time in service. But I wanted to spend a little bit of time today because we are studying the book of Acts right now. Um, we're kind of going through our series called To Be Continued. We'll get into that in a second. But um, one of my favorite stories on giving is in the book of Acts, chapter 5. And it's a little bit of a strange story um, because I think it's the only time where the Holy Spirit in the New Testament commits homicide. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, and if you can commit, connect homicide and giving, I think that's a great thing. Morning. Uh, good morning, John. Um, so, so I want you, we're going to look at Acts chapter 5 real quick, and then we're actually going to go back. We're only on chapter 3. Um, but uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the scripture, and then we'll come back and talk, to, talk about it for a second. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it to the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that um, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it the money? Wasn't the money at your disposal? Uh, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Uh, and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men carried forward, wrapping his body, and carried him out and buried him. Wow. Yeah, we're not even done yet. Uh, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias received for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Then young men carried her out and uh, buried her beside her husband. So, why would the Holy Spirit commit homicide over two people that sold their property and willingly gave a big portion of the money to God? Why it, it doesn't make sense. So, so this one, this scripture deserves a little bit of, of digging into here. So, first of all. Um, I think this scripture is really key to the concept of giving in the New Testament. Um, because like we said, under the Old Covenant, um, the, the standard was you give 10% of your first fruits to the Lord. Uh, under the New Covenant, uh, it is more of a, of a heart issue. So Ananias and his wife, they became believers. They were part of this new community of believers um, that we had talked about in Acts chapter 2 last week. Uh, and they wanted to give to the community. So everything sounds good, right? 
So they had some property, they sold the property off, and then they um, gave a portion of that money to the church. They wanted to be kind of looked at as those people in the church that, uh, they were the big ballers in the church, that, that those that want to be seen as the big givers. Um, and so um, they go and they say, here's all the money that we made off this property, off the sale of this property, and they lay it at the apostles' feet, they make this big display over, here is our gift. You know, we give everything we have, but in reality, they hadn't done that. Um, they had kept some of the money for themselves, and Paul knew this, or Peter knew this. Um, and so when he approached Ananias about it, he fell down and died. Uh, and then same thing with his wife. Um, but it wasn't the fact that he kept the money, a portion of the money. Because if you read, if you read especially when you see the part with uh, Sapphira, um, he, he, Paul kind of, or Peter, saying Paul, Peter kind of goes a little bit deeper into it and says, you know, you know, wasn't this money yours to begin with? You know, it was it was yours to do with what you pleased. So you didn't have to give us the money. You didn't have to give God that money at all. Uh, you could have kept it for yourself, and no one would have felt bad. You know, no one would have, would have questioned you. Um, some people in that time, some of them gave a lot, some of them gave a little. People gave what they could. They gave what their heart told them to give. But they chose to give a portion and then claim that it was all they had. And, and so clearly their gift was not a gift of the heart. Um, so it wasn't about the fact that they kept the money. It was about the fact that they lied about what they were giving in an effort to look good in front of the apostles. And I don't know, I guess maybe they thought they could fool God. I don't know. Um, so it, it, it really, though, goes to the heart of giving, like I said, in the New Testament, in that it's not about how much you give. You can give every dollar that you have, but if your heart is not in the right place, it is not going to be received by the Lord. You can give a couple of pennies, like the like the woman at the temple who right. gave two cents, and that can be everything. Um, and and it really, um, you know, so uh, I like to... Um, kind of take this philosophy at Wilderness Church. Um, if you lie about what you give, we're going to kill you. Um, <laughs> you will not die. I am not going to, you know. But what I do want you to do is when you do give, you know, search your heart. Ask God what you should give. Um, you know, and, and listen to what God tells you. If God tells you, you know, this is what you should give this week, that's what you should give. If God tells you this is what you should give this week, that's what you should give. It is truly... A heart issue. So when you do Amen. give, please pray about it first. Don't just give Absolutely. out of obligation. Don't just give out of a command. Give out of you know your heart. Uh, ask you know the Holy Spirit working in your heart and asking you to give ex right. you know whatever it may be. So let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, thank you so much again for this time. Thank you for this offering that we received today. Um, we ask that you bless uh, every single person in this room that that gives whatever they can give, whatever whether it's. You know, a few pennies or, or a few dollars or a lot of dollars, Lord, that, that offering is, is we, we pray that it is a pure heart and it is truly what you're, you've called them to give, Lord. We ask that you, uh, again, bless every single person in this room. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So that's that. So we are going to continue our study on the book of Acts called To Be Continued. Uh, we started this the week after Easter, so it makes sense that it would be called to be continued because a lot of people kind of believe that uh, when Christ died, that was the end, that was it. Uh, but we know that that was just the beginning of the church and, and the foundation of the church. So as we are continuing to establish 
the foundation of Wilderness Church, uh, this is our ninth week now, um, we want to model ourselves after the early church. We want to do things the way the early church did it. Um, and we want to kind of stick as close to what the Word says as possible. You know, there are so many churches out there. There's a church on every corner. And you can get what you want out of a church if you just look hard enough. Um, I, I don't want to give you what you want. I want to give you what the Word says. Amen. Um, because truthfully, it, it shouldn't be me giving you anything. It's, it's, it's God. It's the Spirit. So uh, today we are going to dig into a subject that not too many people like very much. Um, it, it makes people nervous. Um, we're going to talk about discipleship. And specifically, we're going to talk about being disciples. Um, and because it was such an important part of the early church, obviously you've got just a few people that are trying to spread the word of you know this newfound religion, this newfound um, covenant, and it had to get out there. They had to be disciples. And... Um, you know, so we are truly called to be disciples. It's one of the commands that Jesus gave before he ascended back into heaven. Go and make disciples. Um, so, you know, I think too many of us, though, we kind of fall into this trap. It, it, discipleship scares us because somewhere along the line, we kind of figured, we decided that evangelism and discipleship should be some sort of sales pitch. We kind of treat it almost like it's a used car, you know, we're used car salesman or something. You know, like we've got to, you know, just create this amazing story and we forget that discipleship is truly just about sharing about Jesus. It's, it's just about a person and, and the things that he did and the things that he can do. Um, we don't have to embellish things. We don't have to spin these great stories or manipulate people into believing because honestly, when we try to do those things, it's really just saying that we don't trust God. We don't trust that this book that he created, this son that he sent, this life-changing experience that we can be a part of is not good enough. We need to put our own spin on it. We need, we, we're a better salesman than God is. Wow. And, and so, but I got good news for you. Um, discipleship's not about that. Um, it's not that hard. Um, you don't have to create a sales pitch. You basically just have to be honest. You have to uh, be honest about your trials. You have to be honest about your triumphs. You, um, have, you, you have to be honest about your sadness and how that sadness has been turned to joy. I mean, it's, it's literally just about sharing who you are. Uh, did the camera cut off? Yeah. Yeah, pull that little lever back. This? Uh, it's up there somewhere. There's a little slidey thing. Left, left. I mean, to your right, right there. Slide it towards you. No? Up? Up? Right there? Somewhere? Down. This might help me out a little bit. There's a little lever thing up there. You just slide it towards the back of the camera. Up, up, down, down. Up. Right, left, right. There we go. Maybe. We're back. We're back. We're back. All right. Again. Thanks, guys. All right. So, uh, but, but the truth is, um, you know, God converts people. God is the one that changes hearts. We, we, all we have to do is locate people. The only, you know, our only responsibility is to locate those people that we can then simply share our stories about, that we can um, kind of explain to, the, you know, share with them some of the experiences we've had and, and, and what God has done through us. 
See, Peter and John understood this. Um, like I said, we're going to continue in chapter 3 of Acts today. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Um, we'll read some of it. We'll paraphrase some of it. Uh, but mainly we're just going to dig into kind of the meaning behind all of it and see what examples we can pull from this scripture and see how it can help affect our interactions you know, today and help lay the foundation for, for our church. So if you recall last week, uh, if you were with us last week, we dug into verses chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And probably, in, again, in my opinion, the most significant verse when it comes to the formation of the church. After, after the resurrection of Christ, obviously everything in the gospel is the most important thing, but after that point and the formation of the actual church, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Um, and so it was literally just about learning the word, being with each other, breaking bread with each other, staying in prayer, those are the four foundations of the early church. And because of that foundation, they grew just exponentially. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. God kept adding to their numbers daily. So today we're going to kind of look at, um, you know, one of the words used in that scripture in the Greek was koinonia. And that, that uh, it was the word used for fellowship. And it was a, it's a unique word because we don't have a specific definition for that word in English. So it's, it's kind of a different word, uh, different word, but kind of the understanding that we have in this context is it means a deep connection with another person. And so Peter and John really kind of display this concept of koinonia and this fellowship uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So they are walking to the temple. Um, they're going to the temple for worship. Um, they still attended the temple. Uh, they were they were Jews, uh, and so they still practiced uh, the, the the Jewish faith um, and the Jewish traditions and, and whatnot. So they're on their way to the temple. In verses uh, one, I'm click right in front of me. Uh, we're going to look at verses one through ten. So let's start out in verses one and two. It says, "One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful." where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. All right, so you got these two guys. They're walking into the temple, these two able-bodied, good, strapping young men. I mean, they were fishermen. We know this. And so they're probably in their 20s or 30s, something like that. They had good, healthy young, young men. And so they're walking um, into the temple. And you have to remember that uh, Jewish law at the time stated that um, only men who were ceremonial ceremonially clean right. could worship in the temple. Right. So that meant no women. Sorry, ladies, you're out. No children. Sorry, guys, no kids' church. Um, cripples, foreigners, nobody. I mean, if you have to be a healthy uh, Jewish male to go worship in the temple. Um, then you have to also look at theology at that time. So you've got this crippled man, and that in that time someone being crippled from birth, most likely they, they felt that he was paying for the sins of his family. I mean, he is a person that was, um, you know, he was destined to live a life as a beggar because of the sins of his family is, is how it was viewed in that time. So it's interesting, um, kind of side note here, so if you think about it, they're walking into the temple gates, 
And this would have been a set of gates that Jesus would have walked through dozens, if not hundreds of times in his life to go to the temple to, to pray. I mean, he, well, literally hundreds of times he would have walked through these gates. And it says, it tells you this man was brought there every single day. Every day they'd bring this man and set him at the gate. They'd bring him and set him at the gate. So why didn't this man at some point reach out to Jesus? He had to have heard about him. <clears throat> you know, why didn't he reach out to Jesus and ask Jesus to save him and, and to heal him? Or, you know, why didn't Jesus simply just reach down and, and realize there was a lame beggar there and touch him like he did so many other people? And I think it's a good time to point out that Jesus' ministry is not about healing. Um, and, and we get we get confused. We, we think that Jesus' ministry is all you know it's all about healing, and you know he did all these great things. But his ministry is truly about bringing people and revealing the kingdom of God to people. So the fact that Jesus might have walked past this man hundreds of times, it doesn't mean Jesus was just ignoring him. It it just means that in that moment, um, you know. Jesus' main mission was not to, to heal all, all the broken people, all the hurt people. Um, but it leads us to a situation that we have right now um, where he does get to use this man as a way to bring people to the kingdom of God. So if we continue on into verse 3, it says, um, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So we've all been here before. We've all been walking down the street. We see that homeless person. We kind of spot them up in the distance. And so we try not to make eye contact, and we're going to walk past them. But, you, you know, you kind of he, you accidentally make eye contact. And so, I mean, literally, like, you're going, and they see you, and he's like, gotcha. and you, you know the only real interaction is going to be here. He's going to ask you for money, and you're either going to say, sure, here's a few dollars, or you're going to say, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash, and you're going to keep walking. And it's going to be a pretty insignificant moment. I mean, you're probably not even going to think about it the rest of the day. He's probably not even going to think about it the rest of the day because he's going to have hundreds of other people passing by. Um, but what? But it's interesting what happens here. So Peter looked at the man, looked straight at him, and, and uh, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. Well, clearly the man is looking at him. I mean, he just asked him for money. He's looking at him. But Peter says, look at him. Uh, and... Uh, the, the Greek word used here is blepo. It's kind of a weird word. Uh, but basically it means to have a deeper spiritual insight. So literally, he, he, so, so Peter's not saying, you know, look at me. He's saying, look at me. You know, look, who, who, look into who I am. You know, look at the person that I am. You know, take a real look at me. Um, and, and so if we continue, it says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Um, and so, again, the Greek word used here is epochon. 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 I tried to find the, the pronunciation of this word, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but that's okay. Uh, but basically, it's, it's kind of like the attention a rabbit gives when, when he smells a fox. So, like, he's giving attention... But he's like aware, like he's like something's something's different here, something's going on here. So he's kind of approaching this thing kind of cautiously, thinking he's going to get something from them. And so Peter says, uh, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do give you uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk." So all of us are going. All right, here's the miracle. 
this this is the moment. This is you know this is what you know Jesus has set up. What God has set up, even though Jesus walked past him. Here's the healing. Um, and so you know here here's God. He's gonna he's about to go. Um, so let's but let's let's look what happened next. Uh, in chapter uh, verse seven it says, taking him by the right hand, he helped pick him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So this is significant here. It says taking him by the right hand in that culture at the time. Greeting someone with the right hand, that, that's how you met someone that was your equal. You didn't extend your right hand to someone that was beneath you. Um, and, and you know, this was someone, this is how you greeted a friend. This is how you greeted someone that's on the same stature as you. Um, and so simply by Peter reaching out his hand and grabbing him by the right hand, he was breaking all the rules of the time. Um, you know, he was looking at a cripple, a destitute beggar, and he was calling him a friend. Um, he touched this man as if they were equals. Um, he, he took the man, raised him up. The Bible uses the, uh, the word agairo, which means alert, awake, and resurrection. So you're real, literally seeing the resurrection power of Christ in this moment. He lifts this man to his feet by his right hand. So the man jumps to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So again, so you've got to you got to think here. So when Peter reached out to the man, um, Peter was treating him like a human. Peter was treating him like a real create, you know, one of God's creations. He was living love people. You know, we say here, love God, love people. Peter was literally just loving people. That's, and that's when the miracle happened, just by Peter simply loving people. The man got up and walked into the temple gates for the first time in his life. He had never been allowed into the temple before. And now all of a sudden he's walking freely into the temple. Um, he received a blessing, but what did he do? He immediately gave glory to God. He immediately became a disciple. Um, but the miracle, it, it really doesn't even end there. Uh, it says in verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. So the man who had been invisible for so long, this man had just been sitting there, you know, begging these people for money every single day, um, he was carried to this spot. We assume he was picked up and carried home at night. Um, you know, this man had never seen the inside of a church. He had never gone to a prayer meeting. He had never gone to seminary. He had never read a Bible. He had never done it had any interaction with Jesus, with God, nothing. Um, but he was left, you know, he, but he became a disciple. And as a result, people saw this change. People were amazed at this change. They couldn't believe the change that had happened to this man. Simply by pro proclaiming the name of Jesus, he was totally transformed. And what happened? A crowd gathered. If we were to continue on into uh, verse 11, it says a crowd gathered. Um, so, simply by Peter and John taking the time to love an unlovable man, simply by an unlovable man proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, a platform was created. 
an opportunity was created. And if we continue through the rest of the chapter, we would read how Peter would preach to the crowd. We would read about how the fact Peter told the crowd that even though you're the same people that led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, even though you're the same people that set a murderer free so that you could kill our Savior, you still have an opportunity to be saved. You can still um, receive salvation. Kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, God used these men to bring together this same crowd that just a few weeks earlier was crying for Jesus' death wow. and offered them salvation. Maybe that's a miracle. I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, maybe that's the miracle. I don't know. Um, you know, but God, notice, God didn't expect the lame beggar to address the crowd. God didn't expect this baby Christian, this new uh, believer, to prepare a sermon to lead people to Christ. He wasn't expecting that out of them. That's what he left. That's that's what Peter was there for. You know, he doesn't expect you to do that either. He doesn't expect you to be the same disciple today that you were five years ago. But at the same time, he doesn't expect you to be the same disciple five years from now that you are today. Right. He expects you to grow. Your discipleship should change. Yes. You know, Peter did the same thing. Peter, you know, he started out as a fisherman. And what did he do for three years? He just followed Jesus around and was obedient. That's all he did was he followed Jesus around and he was obedient. Then once, you know, once he was set out, that's when he, you know, went to the next stage of his discipleship. That's when he started to addressing the crowds and, and, and truly proclaiming the name of Jesus. You know, you're going, you need to grow. You should be growing. You should learn. Um, you know, if your walk isn't progressing and drawing people to God differently today than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago, then I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing something right. You should be changed. You should be constantly changing. So what was the real miracle here? Was it the lame man walking um, for the first time? Was it uh, Peter and John taking the time to look at this man as a human, as a as a you know as one of God's creations, um, probably for the first time in that man's life, or was truly the miracle that there were three men, one of which was a com from a completely different background than the other two, but you had these three men who would be able to radically change the lives of a crowd of people simply by being obedient. The key, right. you know, I think the key takeaway from this message, it's simple. Discipleship isn't something that we do. It's simply something that we are. You know, God isn't asking us to do anything we're not prepared for. He's not telling you to go and prepare a sermon if you've never preached a sermon before. He's simply asking you to worship Him, love God, and love people. Man. You know, learn the word and live according to it. You know, that, that's what it all comes down to. The lame man didn't seek out these disciples. The lame man simply was obedient when salvation was presented to him. The disciples didn't go to the temple that day to seek out a lame man to save. I mean, they were simply going to the temple to, to go to church. They needed prayer. You have to think about where they were in this moment. So... There are thousands of people that are, you know, joining this community that they've got, and they're the heads of it. They've never led a community of believers before, and I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around, you know, as if, if you do, have you, if you've ever been in ministry before, and then you've you've seen new believers, 
you know, being youth pastors, it's, you know, when we were youth pastors for so long, I mean, you'd, you'd see these kids and you're, wow, we got these, you know, this kid was saved. And then next week you see him posting on Instagram something so stupid. And you're like, I mean, it just drives you nuts. And so think about this. You've got thousands of people that are living this way. I mean, they, they, they love Jesus. They love God. But, I mean, they probably just needed to go and pray. I mean, they probably just needed to go and, and spend some time with God. But, you know, they, they were obedient. Um, you know, when the crowd gathered, they simply did what they knew how to do. They simply just shared the word of God. They just shared who Jesus was and what Jesus did. They shared about his resurrection. I mean, they just did what they knew how to do, what they were prepared to do. You know, each of us are called to be disciples, um, but we're not all called to disciple in the same way. Um, you may not be That's called right. to preach. I, you know, uh, I may not be called to do nursery ministry. Um, you know, we're all called to disciple in it's different true. ways. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll do nursery. Yes, you are. I'll do nursery in this church today. So there, 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 there's no babies, but I'll gladly do it. That's uh, right. But you know what? You're not. Yeah, you know, we're all called to disciple in in different ways, and you know the question is, how are you being? Obedient. That's how you disciple. You are just obedient. Um, are you being obedient to the point that you are showing people the kingdom? Not getting them into the kingdom. That's not your job. It's just to show people the kingdom. You know, when you're in traffic and somebody kind of slides in in front of you, are you showing them the finger or the kingdom? There's a difference. There's a difference. You know, when you're on Facebook and you see somebody is like totally struggling, you know, they post something that's, you know, kind of hateful and out of character, do you feed into that? Or do you message them privately and say, hey, are you okay? Can I help you? Mm. That's being a disciple. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, say, oh, girl, this is what I would have done. You know, that's not. <laughs> that, I mean, you know, Peter and John were saved. Um, they had seen everything that Jesus did. They literally walked with Jesus and saw all of his miracles. But, um, you know, so they wholeheartedly believed that Christ was their Lord and Savior. And at the same time, they still struggled. Um, Peter walked away. Peter left and became a, you know, went back to fishing, right? Right. Um, but, he, you know, he wasn't perfect. And, um, you know, even in that moment, he was still struggling with things. He would have been dealing with things. He would have had sin in his life. He would have had frustrations in his life. But, you know, so, but what he didn't do was use his salvation as his therapy. You know, Peter didn't use salvation uh, and the life-changing experience he had with God um, so that he could work on himself. You know, I think so many of us, we kind of get confused. We kind of treat this salvation that we've got in this new experience this new life we have in Jesus and and we we use it as a way to to work on ourselves which is which is good but that's not why you were saved you weren't saved so that you can you know go and 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 and, and feel good about yourself and feel holy about yourself you know we named this church wilderness church because in Isaiah 43:19 it says uh, it doesn't say God's going to make a way out of the wilderness. It says God's going to make a way in, in the wilderness. Amen. It's because we're never going to be out of that wilderness. We're, that, that's what wilderness is life. 
right. life right. is the wilderness. I mean, yeah. if you're waiting to be a disciple until you feel holy and you feel spiritual, oh, yeah. and you're like, gosh, you know, now I feel good enough to be a disciple. I, I'm, I'm in a place right now where I can be a disciple. Um, you're probably closer to one of those Pharisees than you are one of those, you know, Peter or, or John, someone that's actually, you know, sharing and leading people to Christ. Yeah. You know, that that's just, you know, because because I got to be honest with you, um, you're screwed up, and and you're you're going to be screwed up, and and we you're not unique in that. Right. I mean, if if we're all waiting until everything is perfect in our lives to be disciples, then you know we're going to be waiting a long time, and the kingdom of heaven is going to be really small. You know, um, you know, the true miracle that day, you know, at those gates was not that God made a lame, lame man walk. Um, God can do that in a fraction of a, a fraction of a thought. You know, mm -hmm. the miracle that happened that day was that there were three men that chose to be obedient. Yes. Right. They made a decision to be obedient. God does not control our decisions. The miracle was that three men chose to be obedient to God. That they chose to live a life that displayed discipleship. They chose to live a life that just displayed what it meant to live for Jesus. Amen. Don't make discipleship difficult. As we're <coughs> just be obedient to what God has commanded you to do. Mm -hmm. you know, love God. Love people. The rest is up to Jesus. Amen. It's that simple. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your son that you have sent to, to save our lives, to save our souls, to give us a peace and a joy that only we can receive through you, Lord. Yes. We ask that you just, you know, continue to work in every single one of us. Continue to help us understand that we are never going to feel perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We and, and that doesn't exclude us from being disciples. We are not called to be perfect. We are just called to be obedient. That is all you've asked us to do. And even though we're going to screw that up from time to time, that we're going to just get back up and we're going to say, you know what, God, I'm sorry, and I'm just going to continue to obey you and do my best to follow you every single day. We're going to live a life that will just display your love, that we would not look at people as, as objects, but we would look at people as your children that we can love, that we can go to and, and just, just show your love, to just show your kingdom to them just through our actions, that every single part of our lives would not be something that would pull people away from your kingdom, but would lead people to you, Lord. Yes. We just ask that as we close today, that you would just help us to, to go out and to, uh, to just be disciples for you, God. Yes. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's worship. Amen.